the Augustin Hosinga Show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 735. That's 735 of the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and I hope you're doing well. Wherever this podcast may find you, I hope you are doing swimmingly. I really, really do. How am I? All good, all things considered, all good, all things considered. It's been a pretty strong start of the week for me, a pretty strong start of the year. I'm feeling refreshed. I'm feeling ready to go. There might be some residual after effects of the glow that you feel after you're sick. I don't get sick too often, but I did have a bit of a gnarly sinus infection, as I mentioned previously. And I think because I actually listened to my GP, I listened to medical advice and I stuck, you know, with the medication. I didn't, you know, divert my course. I didn't do anything silly like get on it or drink or anything or do anything dumb like go out. I stayed in the whole entire time and finished my course of medication. And I know it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back for doing the bare minimum and doing something I need to do. But I've been very irresponsible in my life. I've made some very irresponsible and dumb decisions in my life in the pursuit for hedonistic highs, in the pursuit for pleasure, in the pursuit to fucking shortcut things. So I'm glad for once I didn't do it so i think maybe because i'm recovered now and i'm on the other side i've got this little bit of a pep in my step i've got this little bit of a pop in my voice i'm feeling like i'm bouncing up and down every time i walk and i feel like with my new resolutions the way they're going and how i'm attacking things this might end up being one of the best years i actually have legit this might be one of the best years i legit have because i'm in my full power now i'm realizing what it takes to be an amazing person and the first step to be an amazing person is to make sure that you don't get ill right it's to make sure that you don't get crazy sinuses infections and you look after your health to some varying degree so i'm feeling good i'm feeling powerful i cannot lie i really cannot lie over the last couple of days i've been watching some random old movies and for some reason i don't know why maybe because i saw something on the internet maybe because i heard someone's mention on the podcast but i randomly downloaded rambo first blood i'm sure most of you have watched rambo first blood in the past but i randomly watched it the other day and i have to admit it's been a long time since i watched it it's a really really good movie Rambo First Blood might be the best of the Rambo series, to be honest. I remember the first one I actually watched. I forgot which one it was. The one where he's in the cave and he ends up putting the gunpowder in the fucking wound he has, right? I think he gets shot with the arrow and he ends up pouring the fucking gunpowder from the bullet in there and he lights it up and stuff. That iconic um, scene. I think that was the first one I actually watched. But I actually went back to watch the first one and it's really good. Okay, that's number three, Chris Mack is saying. The one with the, with the gunpowder is number three. So I remember watching number three 
three first. I didn't watch them in chronological chronological order when I was younger. I watched three first, and then I watched the others. But we watching it again, even though I thought number one was quite slow when I first watched it. Number one, the original one, First Blood, is actually the best one because it essentially depicts this like guy that's just come back from Vietnam. He's a little bit um perturbed by what happened over there. Most of you guys know about the history of the war in Vietnam and you know the fucking you know um all of the fallout um around that similar to what happened with the war in Afghanistan um he comes back to his country and he's not a hero right because of all of these images these distressing and horrible images of like villages and innocent people getting blown up and kids and stuff whatever it may be were being trans were being kind of broadcast over to the states and there was a big liberal movement happening obviously there at the time as well and he was getting harangued by people he was essentially like an outcast and he ends up being you know basically trying to um he ends up basically trying to um acclimatize or settle himself in in this town that he's in and he basically gets told to leave a police officer basically picks him up and takes him out of the city limits and tells him to get on the next train like says hey you're not wanted around here you're a vagabond we don't need your type he's a war hero right you'd imagine like he fought for his country you imagine he's going to get the red carpet treatment but that doesn't happen they just see him as another vagabond they see him as another troublemaker they just see him as somebody that has no use for society even though he put his life on the line he lost his brothers his sisters out there and fighting for his country fighting for his flag fighting for freedom fighting for <laughs> whatever he was fighting for and he comes back to his country and he realizes that it was all for nothing because everybody just sees him as a monster as a machine right as a killer and he has to flipping you know adjust to that reality and then he also gets back and he sees these like layabout cops in this small town who don't really do much right who are basically lording or trying to lord their you know authority over him and trying to treat him like he's less than and he just snaps it's sort of like a civil it's sort of like a a depiction of civil unrest but it's sort of like beamed through this one person right it's civil it's civil unrest it's civil disobedience but it's been through this one person's prism and i absolutely love it i swear to god i really 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 enjoyed it watching it and the funny thing is the really sad thing about it is nowadays no one will make a movie like rambo nowadays it wouldn't exist you know because obviously there's a lot of like violence against police right there's a lot of quote-unquote police brutality but not in the way that you think um and obviously a lot of kind of you know untoward destruction um, crazy amounts of it so most likely and of, and of course the messaging around it also would be a little bit dicey no one would make this type of movie nowadays the only thing i can think of that's similar that's meant to be coming out soon is the movie by the studio a24 the one that did midsummer and a few other big releases they've got a movie coming out called i think civil war or something um and that should be pretty good um and that looks quite good in terms of you know it's basically depicting there's american civil war going on and for some reason um i think it's maybe just you know maybe around the idea of the culture war happening at the moment in the united states and so far judging by the trailer that looks like that could be a fun movie but again will they really go pedal to the metal will they really push it will they really be talking about interesting things interesting themes will they really be talking about interesting policies worldviews or Will it just be like a cookie cutter, you know, wokey type of kumbaya type of shit? Because I feel like Rambo um, First Blood works because it does what it says on a tin and it's unapologetic with how it depicts how, you know, soldiers um, would have basically felt around that time coming back from the war in Vietnam. It does it in a really good way and um, without sugarcoating it 
um, without making anybody to because really and truly Rambo isn't really a hero right he goes around basically destroying this small town for the sake of his what his pride and his ego right because he gets told to leave because he's not allowed to go get some breakfast or something he basically destroyed he basically decides to destroy the whole entire town and then inadvertently through the process of him trying to escape or trying to you know trying to be free he also you know through his actions he doesn't does directly but a couple of cops die as well off the back of his basic actions and shit so you know no one really comes out of it smelling like roses but it is really a good depiction of what does happen in real life when you push a man too much when you push a man to his limit when you push a man to the point where he feels like he has no other retort he has no other way to go that's what happens and maybe the pushing thing as well nowadays couldn't work because it might be a little bit of a mantra or it might be a little bit of a of a manifesto for like a um, um uh, what you call it uh, mass murder and stuff you know the guys that do like shootings and shopping malls and stuff this might be one of those type of things so maybe that's why they wouldn't do it because it is a little bit like that right it's about this idea about this guy that's like been is a, a social outcast and now he's been pushed right he keeps getting pushed he keeps getting prodded he keeps getting um provoked and then he snaps you know that's probably what's happening there a little bit it feels like so maybe they wouldn't want to do it because they wouldn't want to send out that message that they are flipping you know um promoting that sort of idea and stuff so maybe that's the right reason who knows who knows but either way really enjoyed it rambo first blood absolutely amazing and um, again you know limited special effects just really good storytelling amazing cinematography great acting there's not even that much dialogue in it right it feels very kind of like um you know it feels like there's a lot of pauses there's a lot of you know kind of just reflections there's a lot of like stuff said with subtleties and movements and mm, ah, ah, whatever it may be you know Rambo's a man of few words in this flipping movie as well so I love everything about it I'm not gonna lie I love everything about it so Rambo First Blood check it out if you haven't already I'm sure most of you have Pick up everybody in the stream chat that's tuning in live as well. Appreciate all of you there. I see you, Chris Mack, Judd, Mellerick, what's going on? Big up my guy, Shades Debt, what's happening? Big up AL, Tommy, get the bag. Big up everybody in the stream chat. I appreciate you all for joining me also. Moving on from that one, we're going to talk a little bit about Man United. So, <clears throat> Ericsson Hogg finally had a meeting with Enios, the group that's bought a 25% stake in Man United. Unfortunately for me, being a fan of Man United, I would have preferred a full sale. But unfortunately, we're stuck with Sir Jim, the Rat Ratcliffe, who's now got 25% ownership of the club, which basically means that he has now the sporting um, authority or decision-making um, you know, um, rights in his arm because that's essentially what the deal that they did. The deal that they did is that for 25%, um, Jim Ratcliffe and his consortium or his group of people are going to be the ones in charge of all sporting decisions at the club now on paper that should be a good thing because one of the things that's people like myself and other fans have been decrying was that our structure as a football club is all over the place we are mostly a commercial club we don't really care about sporting success and a lot of the struggles that we've had can be laid at the feet of our owners and their inability or their flower refusal to get with the times fix up our football structure and get us pointed in the right direction that's why many fans like myself want the Glazers gone um, we wanted a full sale whoever it was even if it was Sir Jim or it was a Atari group we didn't fucking care we wanted a full sale so that we could have a fresh start because now we're like what two decades of the Glazers ownership and without the 
you know magic of Sir Alex Ferguson what we've basically seen is that without good football structure you really have no chance of being a successful football club so as Ferguson is and you know was and is one of the greatest managers of all time obviously we'll go down as United's great manager of all time he was able to succeed in spite of the Glazers now that we've seen that he's stepped away from the club every other manager that's come after him has failed really um to get us back where we belong and I think most of the reason because of that will be yes we maybe had some dodgy managerial choices but it's because the football structure isn't where it needs to be so Jim Ratcliffe has come in he's decided to get control of the football structure and now um he's had a meeting allegedly with Eric Ten Hag where Eric Ten Hag has said the meeting was quite positive so this is courtesy of MUFC MPB on Twitter and the quote from Eric Ten Hag was as follows Eric Ten Hag on the Enios meeting he said very positive we had a long meeting many hours we sat together on many issues we were on the same page very constructive um so for me I'm a little bit concerned about it because I personally am one of the people that feels like Eric Ten Hag should get sacked just because of how poor we've been playing and mostly as a punishment for how he sold us a dream um with his football he played at Ajax and how they were basically constructed ever since he's come to United it's been an absolute horror show we played terribly we've got terrible results we're in a lowly position in the flipping league we're out of most of the cup competition reception the FA Cup and things are not getting better and of course the transfer market dealings from him have been absolutely shocking also so I feel like there should be some consequences for how terrible we've been playing the fact that he's fallen out with players he's in game management all this sort of stuff should be punished but i also feel like the players are the ones that are mostly to blame as much as the owners have been terrible i feel like we've had the same group of players who've been stinking up the place who'd had way too much power who earn way too much money considering how lowly we are as a club who should be the ones getting a boot so i'm more than willing and happy to see those players be given a boot and maybe let Everton hard kind of see out the season and go from there but if we keep performing terribly then of course he's going to force the owner's hands and he's definitely going to go the only thing i don't want to see is of course an interim manager duo of fucking darren fletcher and steve mclaren which will end up happening if we do sack Ayrton hag until the end of the season and then there's also a prospect for us kind of fans out there that don't like Ayrton hag there's also the very scary prospect that if we do sack Ayrton hag and we don't get an interim there is a prospect that flipping what's his name um that graham potter the former manager of brighton and chelsea might end up being our coach because there's rumors coming out there that Enios have sounded him out and shit so it's not looking great for being a United fan now the other thing that's very concerning is this news courtesy courtesy of MUFC MPP Ayrton Hagen contract extensions he says we're talking to Rafa Varane Anthony Martial and we triggered the options of Aaron Wambasaka Victor Lindelof and Hannibal Medry so if you know anything about United, you know that our squad is very much in need of a clear out. We need to get most of these players out of our club. We need to have a clean sweep and start again to rebuild from the bottom. And it will require some very tough decisions to be made, some very ruthless decisions to get us to rebuild the squad because there's players there from like three or four managers ago that probably need to be moved on and players who have necessarily haven't fulfilled their potential and we just need a restart. I'm worried now that we're already discussing contract extensions with the like of Varane, who I'm a fan of, but I still think a tough decision needs to be made to get, let him go. Anthony Marshall, another person I'm a fan of as a player, but he hasn't fulfilled his potential. He's injured too often. Even though this season he's been fairly fit and I think he's just ill and stuff, but I would like to move on from him. And even the likes of um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka and, Aaron Win- uh, and Victor Lindelof. I feel like all of those players should be getting let go. 
I don't feel like we should be contract get contradiction for any of those players. I feel like if anything, Ineos as a group should be making sure this summer that everybody um, contract situation gets assessed all together in the summer and then we decide what happens going forward i don't think because some people's contracts are ending or you know it's approaching that one year mark that we should just trigger the extension that shouldn't be how we deal with things we should be looking at assessing every single player in that squad or every member of that fucking first team from the backroom team also in the summer it shouldn't be doing it shouldn't be done now i think everybody should be playing for their future for for lack of a better term and then we kind of you know look at things in the summer and decide where we're gonna go there the fact that we're still deciding to keep the likes of Varane, Martial, um, AWB and fucking Lindelof is a sign that nothing really has changed. Nothing really has changed. We're still stuck in the same position that we're in and most likely we're still going to be seeing these same trashy players like McTominay, like Luke Shaw, like Bruno Fernandes, like Marcus Rashford be the linchpin of our club, you know, going into the next season. That's the really sad and depressing part of being a United fan. But hey, I guess it is what it is. But then the final news here, we've got news courtesy of um, the same page regarding Jaden Sancho's loan to Borussia Dortmund. He's going to go back there for the next six months. Um, the quote from Ayrton Hag is, I can't say anything about that. We have to wait to see how things are going. When we have news, we'll tell you. Obviously, for the player, I'm happy for him. Selfishly, for me, being a Jaden Sancho, Sancho fan, sorry, and obviously not the biggest Ayrton Hag fan, I would have much preferred to see Ayrton Hag get fired and then see Jadon Sancho get brought back into the team but that's not going to be happening so for him personally it's a nice chance to go to back to a, a team and a country that he had a lot of joy in to be able to play with a team and um, obviously that he kind of clicks with and the management structure and the coaching ability whatever it may be and obviously in a league that he obviously did very well well in get his confidence back and maybe put himself in a shop window most likely the club will try to get him back again but I think regardless of what happened to Erickson Haag if I was Jadon Sancho I'll be looking for a permanent move away from United um, the transfer hasn't worked out for for whoever's you know you could decide whose fault it is maybe some blame does lie on Jaden Sancho's feet for not making himself indispensable but regardless the transfer United didn't work out as we all liked it all hoped it would we chased him for a long time it kind of you know flattered to deceive and I feel like he should jump now before he ends up being another Pogba before he ends up getting tied down to a long contract at United and then the next time he turns around he's already 28 and time has fucking slipped by I really do think he should leave sooner than rather than later if i was him but again what do i know what do i know and then of course finally united news i was just wanting to mention that i am worried i am about the fa cup game against wigan on monday fa cup game against wigan on monday i'm very very worried about that game even though wigan have a very terrible record so far in terms of the last what six or so games it's one draw three losses one win and then that's what's that two draws uh three losses and one win right so not the best um flipping record and if you look at the table of where wigan are in league one right this is the yeah football league one which is like two divisions down for the premier league wigan are 17th they're in 17th position but i'm honestly envisioning a a scenario where this team wigan who are playing in the second division of the english football league will end up beating us in the fa cup i've just got a feeling i've got a bad feeling about this um on the game on monday so let's see what happens let's see what happens let's see what happens moving on from that moving on from that moving on from that there's this news courtesy of Instagram, courtesy of the page called Stay Grounded. And I thought this is a very interesting question. It's regarding the hundreds. And this person posted, the hundreds is just important as to, the hundreds is just important to streetwear as Supreme. 
And I have to agree, but I also think, unfortunately, the hundreds suffered um, from just being too corny or for maybe the people not liking the fan base or the customer base of the hundreds. And they were maybe the first prominent streetwear brand I remember at that time who basically suffered because people thought their fans were corny. I can't really think of another brand that had the same sort of issue. Maybe Supreme for a little bit had the same issue, maybe Bape for a while. Um, but for the most part, I feel like the main reason why the hundred doesn't get respected the way it should do. And the main reason why people kind of maybe, you know, discount them and don't really take them too seriously has to do with the fact that their fans were looked at as corny because I guess at the time there was a big Filipino uh, Mexican type of big fan base around the hundreds at the time they were very very west coast maybe at the time west coast streetwear wasn't very looked at as the cool thing there were a lot of obviously west coast streetwear brands and stores but I don't feel like the scene around it was as cool as it is maybe nowadays if that makes any sense um because you know I was a big fan of the hundreds I used to wear a lot of the hundreds back in the day and um one of the things I did actually when I did the hundreds, when the hundreds was really, 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 really prominent, right? Is that I met the hundreds guy, Bobby Hundreds, the founder. And that was really an interesting and pivotal moment in my sort of like streetwear quote unquote career. Cause I remember that was also the time when I was sort of like struggling to sort of like, you know, integrate myself in the scene because I met a lot of resistance or people acting like a big time, being too cool for school and stuff. And I remember kind of being friendly with the hundreds guy, Bobby Hundreds on forums. I think back in the day on the hype forum and he happened to be friends um with this guy called nick jackson who used to run a brand called 12 bar and at the time when i was around 18 19 i was interning at 12 bar i was an intern at 12 bar one of the first one of the first 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 internships i ever received or ever had and it was amazing because it kind of opened my eyes up to like what it means to have clout and what the really important thing is um to kind of strive for if you're kind of you know trying to make your name to yourself in this little subculture or niche or a scene and that is to just do the work to be an integral member of the scene and to not worry about you know um trying to suck up to people to not worry about trying to be people's friends and instead focus on the work instead try and build up your brand try and build up your agency your photography portfolio whatever it is you're doing and most likely that will get you to the places that you want and it will most likely have the same people that you're trying to lick their asses end up licking yours it's very toxic it's very destructive it's very odd way of thinking but that was the reality that i saw because when the hundreds guy bobby hundreds came over to london that summer to kind of visit um you know t t t to visit people and hang out one thing that i instantly noticed was how different everybody treated us right everybody was treating us so differently when i went to stores the difference was so funny you see such a big difference for people how they treat you inside the stores when the hundreds guys come it was like night and day there were some stores i'd go to in london like the hideout and like bond international and the guys would be such cunts and then the moment i walked in there with bobby hundreds from the hundreds suddenly everybody was all smiles they were all kind of dapping me up and stuff and it completely changed how i was kind of regarded um you know the next time that i kind of went there as well on my own so it was kind of funny to kind of see it so that was kind of cool um but then again like i said i just think in general they suffered mostly because of their fans people just assumed their fans are corny they didn't really like them too much right it's like i don't know it's it's a really unfortunate situation and of course their project their products as well wasn't the greatest right i feel like their quality standards or the consistency of their collections kind of wavered from time to time 
the, the creative direction was kind of all over the place um i was never the biggest fan of the logo personally um and i just think in general they weren't regarded as a core brand i remember there was a time actually i think it was a time bobby hundreds came over he was discussing maybe some potential collaboration with supreme and the meeting didn't really go too well i think that was all kind of part of it because people kind of looked down upon them you know they kind of saw them and thought you know what nah we don't really like you too much we think you're a bit weird um your brand isn't that cool and personally for me one of the things that kind of put me off the hundreds over the years i have to be honest was when the adam bomb started to become the prominent logo i always thought the adam bomb logo was incredibly lame and corny i just preferred the fucking text of that the hundreds written in script i've actually got a picture of myself wearing some see i actually preferred this logo this logo was pretty cool this like logo with just the text written across the chest in the hundreds in this big thick font um maybe the uh, the, the bomb logo kind of works a little bit there but i actually preferred it how it worked there and then of course i've got this old the hundreds starter hat that or well, starter kind of type hat that they did in the past as well and this is actually when i used to get flow this is the last time i got flow this is the last time i got flow you know what i mean this is the last time I got flow and it was flipping great to fucking see to be able to get all these free products given to you to kind of feel like a bit of an influencer. And um, the other time as well that I got some flow from the hundreds from these old pictures of myself on the Flickr was when I had these flipping jeans from the hundreds back in the day when they did these raw denim jeans, these Japanese denim jeans from back in the day, the hundreds did, right? And I wore these things into the ground. They had these amazing um, wave logo, I think on the side. I think if I'm not mistaken, this stitching, um embroidery the purple thing in the back pockets was something relating to like earthquakes in san francisco or something like that i'm not too sure if that was a, the vibe about it or something like that that was a kind of nod and i used to wear them i wore them into the ground these things absolutely got busted together i absolutely flipping loved them so um big up the hundreds um unfortunately they don't get the respect they deserve i think a lot of it has to do like i said with consistency wasn't great it was all kind of up and down um the projects and the works were a little bit all over the place creative direction was a bit all over over the place and again like i said i think it was mostly the fucking issue was the customer base people just hated the customers they thought they were corny and lame that's the main thing that kind of let them down really really was the main thing that let them down so it's kind of sad to see how it kind of turned out with the fucking hundreds back in the day but i used to fucking love i used to love wearing the hundreds clothing i swear to god i used to absolutely love wearing everything from flipping the hundreds and i wish that they were still a prominent brand now because i would definitely be wearing more of it now as you can see there's a tall another tall bar hoodie that i used to wear back in the day some fucking hunter dunks as well another 12 bar flipping t-shirt from back in the day supreme blazers um i forgot what that what that collab air max was Aurora or something like that i forgot what the brand was again some more 12 bar stuff as well here and a few other 12 bar bits and bobs up there as you can see as well but big up the hundreds always a big fan of the hundreds always a big fan of the hundreds anyway continuing on we got this post courtesy of stay grounded which i thought was really on point i want to basically piggyback off the back of this regarding stay grounded it says um danny brown says fit check trend sucks and is bad for kids i definitely definitely agree with him on this one about the uh the asking rappers how much their clothes cost industrial complex 
I think it's it really sucks. Can't really say anything sucks because it, it really messes up with the kids. You know, there's nothing like having my little cousin like asking me for like Balenciagas and stuff. And it's like, come on, man, what is going on right now? Like, you don't have a job? I was happy to get a pair of Reebok pumps for a hundred dollars. I thought that was baller. You know, yeah, now these kids want thousand dollar shoes, and that's like, man, that's like months of rent. There's somebody out there that can go to Burlington Coat Factory and get fresher than somebody that's just wearing all designer. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's all about your style. It's all about you. It ain't about how much money you really spend on clothes, you know? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You can go thrift. It's cost $200. Yeah. Total. I got this from a thrift store, you know? And I think he's 100% right. I've never been the biggest fan of those channels. I think one of the main ones I always hated was the guy that does his channel called um, Icy Cough, the How Much Is Your Outfit? I always thought that stuff was redundant because if anything, it just encourages people to buy really expensive or rare items and wear them all at once and think that's style when it isn't. That's obviously, in my opinion, the opposite of style. When you just wear really expensive, loud things, very rare things, and you walk around thinking you're doing something because you've got the rarest, most expensive, most bright, most loudest thing ever. And if anything, it also encourages hyper-consumerism. It kind of makes you want to always go out there and buy crazy expensive things just for the sake of it. And really, you can get off some really crazy fits by just going out to the thrift store. One of the things I used to always love to do, which I don't do too often anymore, was I used to go on Vogue.com or something and pick a brand that I like. Let's say it's Rick Owens. And I will just see the silhouette of what the looks were on the runway. And I'll try and find the same things on the high street or through a thrift store. And then I maybe have a couple of designer things to kind of fill it in. But the main, the main silhouette, the main shape, the main maybe color palette of the outfit I would find on the runway. And I'll try and replicate it. I used to do that a lot, especially during the Hedy Slimane era of Saint Laurent. When Hedy, when Hedy Slimane was at Saint Laurent and everything was like skinny jeans and cowboy boots and leather jackets, you could always find those looks easily at a Goodwill store, at a charity shop. You could find a nice leather jacket uh, for cheap. You could find some nice, you could find maybe a nice button-up shirt somewhere in a fitness shop for cheap as well to wear. And you could easily put together a very similar Saint Laurent look with maybe the real Saint Laurent boots, right? You could maybe purchase them for, for, for the actual price and then fill it up with all vintage pieces pieces and you wouldn't need to spend the whole entire money getting the whole outfit done but you could kind of look quite stylish by copying the sort of styling of the flipping runway looks that's what i really used to love and i think this whole like how much is your outfit thing it kind of encouraged a lot of people to just go the opposite way and just buy expensive things and the weird thing is most likely if you've seen a lot of those what's your outfit look like pages especially when they're interviewing like random people on the street and not just celebrities you see a lot of the same things you see a lot of the same silhouettes you see a lot of the same shapes especially when they do them in new york you see the guys that all wear those big jeans with all the crazy embroideries on them and shit you'll see people wearing really loud knit jackets and stuff and leather jackets and whatnot it's all the same thing so this whole like how much is your jacket thing how much is your outfit thing has really encouraged people to dress the same and buy the same things and have the same taste like everybody on those pages seems to always be obsessed with chrome hearts or you know maybe wearing a particular bottega veneta shoe or balenciaga jumper and stuff it's all the same thing again and again and again so if anything people are pretending that they're individuals because they're buying all these incredible rare expensive things but they're actually looking very similar because they're all kind of getting the same inspirations they're looking at the same discovery pages they're following the same page they're following the same 
profiles and pages and they're getting the same levels of inspiration coming at them which is obviously making them all have a weird collective taste that they just all kind of like you know copy and pasting on different sort of bodies from all around the world and i really 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 do detest it personally and it's unfortunate too because the other side of it is these people online who post their outfit pictures but they refuse to give you any details they kind of gatekeep stuff so you'll see people in the comments say oh where's the jacket from where's the jeans what's the name on the brand of the shoes and they always ignore them they don't reply they don't like they don't do anything it's just always kind of gatekeep so the complete opposite of it is people who go out their way to post pictures they want you to like their pictures but if you ask so many questions about where they got their items they don't want to answer they don't want to give you any details and stuff which is really pathetic as well because most of the time if you're smart like me all you do is just take a screen grab of their outfit you crop whatever thing that you want to find out and you just put it into a reverse image search on your google um, you know on google search or especially on your phone you can get the google app and usually you can find the item that way really really easily unless it's obviously something archived that hasn't really been you know shared online you can usually find most of the stuff online so it's not really even bothersome it's not really even useful to do all that whole gatekeeping thing because most people with the smartphones can find out what you're wearing even if you want to keep it yourself so i find all that kind of you know how much your outfit things to be incredibly lame so i'm glad i'm really glad that flipping danny brown said what he said because it really is lame and it doesn't really uh, breed good style and if anything it just makes people be hyper consumers and not really want to have any identity when it comes to the things that they wear so i'm glad that he said that i really am glad that he said that next on the list we got this post courtesy of this guy called fit dad ak regarding the up and coming um pharrell design uh, bag that's going to be dropping with fucking louis vuitton this is the this is the particular version that is the millionaire one which is retails for a million dollars and allegedly all the fixtures on this bag are actually made out of gold actual real gold and i think the leather is some other really high quality leather i forgot what the other bits and bobs are but if i'm not mistaken all the actual fixtures on it are actually real gold that's why it's actually a million flipping dollars and um allegedly it's been doing really well there's a there's a demand for it it's been selling out according to the guy that i just spoke about um personally i just prefer the regular one i think it's called a key powder bag if i'm not mistaken it's got this really nice chunky um gold chain on the outside and it's got this nice little padlock as well on there as well and obviously the flipping gold zip as well makes it look really incredible and then if you actually check out the comments from this guy he says in the replies here that um today was the official in-store release of the actual bag itself and there was insane queues across the u.s lines outside the stores products are going out of stock during pre-order phases so even though this bag retails for one million dollars and the regular one is still a hundred thousand dollars most likely people are still buying it and it's actually selling out that's a really crazy thing that's happening here so even in the recession with money being tight right uh, with unemployment being high there are people out there still purchasing one million dollar bags just for the vibes and i've also got here an image or a video that features the one and only lebron james also um starring in the latest campaign for louis vuitton advertising the keep is it the keep all bag i think that's what it's called if i'm not mistaken here he is walking down the street um with the bag itself and you know i'm not i gotta be honest the ad is kind of underwhelming it doesn't really it's not really that aspirational i don't really feel like i want it because lebron james has it and if anything this makes me question how long pharrell's actually going to be at louis vuitton you know he actually makes me question like is he going to survive there is he going to be there for the long run 
or is this going to be one of those short appointments that soon at the end of the year he might go because that's my prediction my prediction is most likely Pharrell won't be at Louis Vuitton men's by the end of the year it's something kind of underwhelming about his his collections there there's not been a lot of hype behind it um, after the first collection um, you know there maybe was some hype and then the second resort collection happened I think it was in Hong Kong somewhere and that very much was very underwhelming and this is not looking the greatest either I'm not really too enamored by this in any way shape or form and I'm not really sure this is really going to move the needle but most of you will know especially the guys in america that lebron james is huge in asia he's huge in china so maybe this is a smart play to get him to kind of you know be able to kind of um do that get push the button over there in asia and get people to get really excited for it even though you know asian people love louis vuitton anyway but this might be a clever move to kind of get those people over that side of things interested in buying the bag and then there's obviously more images of it as well here as you can see um, you know Le LeBron James looking cool standing on top sitting on top of the car with the bag there also so maybe I'm mistaken and this actually might do some units but I think the images are a bit you know I think the images are a bit boring um, I'm not really you know encouraged by it at all and I think it's a little bit it's a little bit terrible for me personally but there's also a video here I want to play um, that features Pharrell turning up at the Louis Vuitton store in, I think, where is this store? I think it's a Louis Vuitton store in, where is this? Is it Miami? It might be Miami, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's Miami. Uh, Pharrell turns up there and decides to do an in-store pop-up appearance um, for the new collection of bags that's going to be sold in the store. And he turns up driving a Cybertruck. Let's turn off the sound because I don't want to get fucking taken down. You see him pulling up there. Well, let's take off the sun again he's taking pictures with fans and shit right looking cool he pulls up to the store with his nice big baggy jeans and shit i don't like the aggressive boot cut on the jeans some shoes there and here's him with his new collection in store feeling fine feeling happy so pharrell's got a cyber truck he pulled up to the store and he's obviously doing his nice little store visit there and i don't know i don't know um, he obviously looks amazing pulling up to the store in a cyber truck cool we love it but i'm just not too sold on the clothes i'm not gonna lie the vibe isn't the same also rip virgil it's not really the same it doesn't hit the same and i'll be surprised if pharrell is still there by the end of the year but again i could be mistaken i could be mistaken who knows moving on from that one moving on from that one let's probably talk about let's have to we have to we have to we have to we have to mention the one and only cat williams cat williams had probably one of the best interviews i've seen in the last 18 months it will all go down for sure as the best interview of this year unless there's some kanye interview on you know the shay um what you call it the uncle shannon sharp show i forgot i think it's called shay williams i forgot what the fucking show the actual show is called but um shannon sharp show maybe kanye will go on there and maybe trump this but so far this might end up being one of the greatest interviews of all time because cat williams laid it bare cat williams laid it bare in all ways shapes and size and i feel like i feel like this interview is going to go down in history and it's so amazing to hear him talk the way he did so honestly about the industry and kind of be honest about the things that go on and i think this sort of like freedom this sort of ability to sort of like speak truth to power or just speak the truth in general 
is something that he is afforded to do because he's kind of independent. He beats, he moves to the beat of his own drum. He's got his own flipping fan base that are fucking holding him down. And, and the fact that he kind of makes his own money is kind of out of the system. There's part of this interviews that kind of make it feel like he's a little bit bitter. He's a bit of a hater, but I think most of the things that he says come from a good place. It's really difficult. I feel like if you're in an industry that's highly competitive and you don't like what's happening in there and you want to speak against it, it's ultra hard not to come across a little bit bitter. It's ultra hard not to come across like you're hating, even though you're speaking your truth. So I feel like he kind of, you know, he kind of pushes that line a little bit. But for the most part, I feel like it's incredibly refreshing to hear him say that because I feel like for whatever reason, people that, you know, ascertain, people that get a certain amount of wealth or fame, they seem to have a resistance or they seem to be very resistant to saying how they actually feel or actually talking about things that actually affect them or speaking the truth in any way, shape or form. If anything, the more famous, the more rich they become, they tend to kind of go into themselves. They tend to kind of limit what they're saying. They tend to kind of dim their voice, dim their star because they don't want to bring too much attention to themselves and stuff. So it's really always the opposite. When I always thought, if you get the amount, you know, if you're able to be somebody like a Cat Williams, like a legend in the industry, you're able to, you know, basically accumulate the amount of money he has over the years, you should probably owe it to yourself to actually you know act like you got fuck you money because you have because no one can really cancel you you've got a built you've got a fan base that is loyal to you and you're always going to have the ability to make money as soon as long as you can flip and get on stage you know that's the main thing and i've always thought it's a shame when people on that position don't take that opportunity or don't use that privilege to speak truth because if you're not going to speak truth when you have the ability not to get cancelled and you're protected, then when are you ever going to speak truth, you know? So it's great to hear him speak the way he did. So I'm going to play a collection of clips here that I've took, obviously, from social media and from the YouTube interview. You guys can check it out. You know where to find it. Just type in on YouTube, Cat Williams interview will be the first one that pops up. Allegedly, it's a part one. There's another part coming out also. I'm not really sure how long it is, but it's an amazing interview. I'll play a selection of clips and then, of course, I'll comment on them as we continue. But it's an incredible interview throughout definitely watch the whole thing i did and i absolutely loved it so let's play the first clip this one's about most comedians need to get booed and this could definitely apply to um the one and only brendan Shaw, who i usually cover on the random show this sort of ideology or this sort of idea could definitely be applied to him because i feel like a lot of those comedians have really suffered because for the most part they have like a built-in audience on their podcast that doesn't really you know that just loves them for who they are so maybe a little bit of like harsh realities of what regular people kind of think of them might actually improve their comedy but less about me let's hear what he has to say about this have you ever been booed cat um yes yeah i have what was that feeling like did it like want to give up because we don't i mean because when you have i mean i don't know how early it was in your career obviously it hadn't been in the i don't think it's in the last decade because you've been immaculate have you ever dropped a pass i have i've been booed too you know the little segment between everything is fine and i got it and then you noticing where it is now mm-hmm yeah, it's that. Um, the thing about as a comedian, 
the audience's opinion is the only opinion that matters, not you, the writer, not none of that. And so I don't think any comedian has ever been booed unnecessarily either. <laughs> uh, that is a brilliant way to look at things, right? The audience is always right. The audience is always king. And that is how it should always apply. But I feel like nowadays stand-up comedians sometimes say this, but I don't think they believe it. I don't think they actually believe the audience is king. I think some of them actually, through, through whatever, this is a weird thing to say, but I think a lot of them sometimes end up despising their audience. I also see it sometimes in the DJ scene. You end up seeing DJs who get to a level of fame where they end up really despising their audience. They end up despising their fan base. And some of it might have to do with this really strange, like kind of flipping their head where they start to feel like the audience is sort of holding them by ransom. It's holding them at ransom. The audience is the one that's forcing them to do these shows. That's making them have this crazy schedule where they can't sleep, where they can't stay in one place, where they don't see their family, where they miss their loved ones. Maybe that's part of it, but you see a lot of it happening. They start to kind of build as almost a sense of contempt for the audience. Or they have this other thing where they feel like if you're not laughing, if you're not enjoying a show, that you don't get it, right? My audience is dumb, like basically chastising them in a way. It's a very strange thing. You see a lot with the celebrities nowadays or performers nowadays this really strange fraught almost confrontational relationship with the fans where you love them because obviously they afforded you they've given you this life that you've always wanted but then you also maybe hate them because they are then such big fans that they always demand more of you which is then taking you away from the things that you actually want to do yeah you know what i mean it's a strange thing to say but i think in general i would love to see more of this mindset with artists in general where it's always fan service and I think it's strange because me, myself, when I come to like doing art or whatever content I'm doing, I always feel like I do a lot of it for myself. Like I always think to myself, hey, how would I feel like if I was randomly on YouTube and I stumbled on this guy who was talking about art, who was talking about shoes, DJing, nightclubs, who was talking about design, fashion, then he started speaking about comedy and shit. I'd be interested, you know what I mean? So I do it kind of for myself, but I also have to kind of keep in mind that I'm also doing it for an audience and I want to make sure that they're having a fun time while they're watching it because there's nothing worse than watching somebody who's sort of wasting your time, you know? So you kind of, have to, it's a balance between like servicing yourself and making yourself feel good, making sure that you feel good at the work you're doing, but also keeping in mind that the fans are always king. The customers are always the king. They're the ones that you always kind of have to answer to. And I think I've always had that mindset this is weird to say, but I think most of it has come because of my of my kind of early experience in work, working in the service industry, working in pub, pub, pubs, working in bars, working in fucking retail stores. That was when I always was obviously subservient and serving people and making sure that they had a good experience, that they had good service, that they were happy with the product they were given. And that was a really big thing that I kind of learned and something. And again, it was also beneficial when I worked in retail. I worked with people who really took their job seriously, even though it was a job that people kind of felt like was beneath people or was a little bit shit. I worked with managers and with, you know, sales assistants who actually loved selling. They loved communicating. They loved, you know, talking to customers. They love fucking sharing their knowledge. They love just shooting the shit with random people. And that makes you appreciate that kind of, you know, that relationship with the customers type of thing. And you don't see a lot of it nowadays, unfortunately. Let's continue. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is, is very... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, what, 
What do they say when a guy shoots the air ball in the NBA? They say, air ball, right. to make sure everybody knows. But, again, he still got to get back on D. Right. Like, the game didn't end. He don't get to throw his hands up and sulk. Right. That's supposed to be used as a learning experience. Most comedians don't get booed enough. Exactly. Very true. I mean. And nowadays, this is a very good point, because nowadays it's even more so. Most comedians don't get booed enough nowadays, more so, because a lot of comedians, or artists in general, forget comedians, think of all artists. Now most artists have their own platforms, whether it's a social media feed, whether it's a podcast like mine, whether it's a YouTube channel, whether it's uh, whatever it may be, they have a place where most of their fans can talk to them, communicate to them, or see their art. So if anything, you can build a fan base of people who just like you for you. And I remember one time Theo Vaughn saying it. And I think he said it around the time that he joined King in the Sting. And it was kind of relating to Brendan. I think he was thinking out aloud and kind of trying to wrap his head around how Brendan had a fan base. And then I think he realized in real time, oh, people just like him for him. They just want to see him. They just want to be in his presence. It's not because they think he's super funny. It's not because they think his jokes are amazing on stage. They just like him for him. And I think a lot of that happens with a lot of comedians nowadays where they have a fan base that comes out to see them just because they like them from podcasts. They like them from appearing on other podcasts. They just like their personality. And it has less to do about their fucking comedy. So if anything, it doesn't help them in terms of getting funnier because they have their own fans coming to their shows not people that don't actually give a shit about them so they don't actually learn what jokes are funny or not because their own fans laugh at everything they fucking do they gag you know what i mean they're bending over backwards just you know at mannerisms and stuff so that's probably the main reason why you're seeing this strange situation in comedy now where you have people who are super famous but the comedy doesn't match the level of fame they have, you know, because they obviously play to the home crowd for the most part. That's the issue I'm seeing nowadays. This is how you end up with a Michael Blackson who's a real African doing a fake African accent. Okay, no, no, uh, this guy is mad at me. All I did was give him the best advice of his life. Remember, he was wearing dirty dashikis. And I told him he needed to dress to be in the position that he's trying to say that he's in. And if you're the African king of comedy, sir, there's actually comedians in Africa doing comedy. If you're going to say that, you got to go to Africa and get a school, dude. Everybody got you. You got to put in some work. And these guys, they take my advice. They change their whole persona. And. And then they hate me for it. He's so right, though, about the Michael Blackson thing. I didn't think about that, but that's such an astute observation. He's a real African that puts on a fake African accent to be funny. It's quite funny, then. <laughs> a real African that puts on a fake African accent to try and be funny, which is odd. Because you'd imagine, you know, just lean into who you actually are and that might should be the funny thing. Um, I w I've always thought the idea that... Um, rogan says about oh there's only 1000 really true comedians out there and i find it interesting how whenever he says the 1000 comedians the navy seals of comedians the top level comedians they all happen to be his friends and they all happen to be people from english-speaking countries he never really includes or counts people around the world for, for for some reason you know people especially happens here in the uk too people from north america people from you know parts of the uk they just think the other the you know other parts of the world don't exist if there's a really big comedian in the philippines that person doesn't count because you don't understand their language same with if, a, if there's a really big comedian in fucking brazil or in botswana or something they don't include them so they always refer to themselves as the best comedian in the world but it's like how can you be the best comedian in the world if you don't know who comedians are 
outside of fucking North America or outside of English speaking countries. That's not the world. Just because you are, you know, and especially if all the comedians that you think are good are the ones that come on your show or the ones that you see in the same venues that you play at. How about everybody else that's playing in venues that you haven't heard of or are unknown in that? Do, do they not count? Do they not matter? And generally, I'm just too big to comment or make a statement about it or do a live or any of that. But when it gets to be a whole grouping of these guys, I got to come and talk to Shannon. And I really do love that. I love the fact that he said it because like I said, I think it's really difficult in his position to say what he says without sounding like a hater. That's the really sad part about it. Even though he said a lot of good things, there's a lot of pushback out there because, you know, he's got a prominent voice. He's very popular. Um, he's probably the most well-loved comedian on social media because I feel like a lot of stand-up comedians divide opinion. But I feel like Cat Williams has this sort of like lore, has this sort of like legend around him that most people love him for. And I feel like that's the main thing um, that I've always kind of appreciated about the guy. Um, next clip here I'm going to play is um cat williams on being called gay after he roasted wonder smith i'm sure most of you guys know about the legendary back and forth he had with the radio presenter wonder smith but he speaks about the um, you know the the fallout of that interview and i think it's really really incredible and i obviously played a clip of his back and forth with wonder smith also let's play the clip now so you can hear it bear with me a second as i get it up on here there's only five or six different types of people and you're gonna see them everywhere that you go and all like all my enemies all look the same in the eyes whether it's Faison, Wanda, Aries, Spears, they all look like Man, what you gotta <laughs> They all look the same in the eyes, you know what that means? They've all got that kind of dark, those dark patches around their eyes Faison, they all look the same around the eyes, they've all got raccoon eyes, that's basically what he's saying yo, Cat Williams is so rude he's so fucking mean you don't want to get in a war of words with this guy because he will really make you, he will really, really, really break your heart. He'll really make you cry. He's so fucking mean, honestly. <laughs> Let's go to start again. Oh. Life is only five or six different types of people and you're going to see them everywhere that you go. And all, like all my enemies all look the same in the eyes, whether it's Faison, Wanda, Aries, Spears, they all look like... Man, what you got to give Wanda sight? <laughs> You think I don't remember that, Smith? sir? Wanda Sykes and Wanda Smith are two separate people. I mean, Wanda I, Smith. Wanda I, Smith. I, I, and I Wanda, had only no, said one name, sir. Wanda Sykes. I'm is amazing. I love Wanda, and I agree. I love Wanda. That's I my agree. girl. My but I, I remember on the radio, you went on the radio interview. If I'm not mistaken, that's in Atlanta, right? And you came on there with seemingly good intentions, and oh, she yeah. attacked you. It wasn't just that part. It was the fact that before I go in there, she has a conversation about, okay, now, I just want to talk to you because you just want an Emmy for the city of Atlanta, and this is in Atlanta, and they just want to hear about the Emmy and hear from you and to thank you for what you did putting the city on. Right. <laughs> and we won't talk about your kids. We won't talk about jail, no cases. We ain't going to talk about none of that. Right. And immediately gets in there and goes the opposite way. You can't flip up on me because you're an inferior comedian. I'm going to destroy you, and I'm never going to call you out of your name. I'm never going to say anything. 
anything disrespectful to people that look like you. I'm, I'm, it's a very thin line. I got a call, but this lady is trying to embarrass me in front of a largely homosexual fan base. That's why she got canceled. Gay people don't take it kindly that you would, as a derogatory, call me gay. Gay people don't feel like it's derogatory. So and you knew she was losing the moment she did that. The moment she went for that insult, you knew she was she lost already before it started. It's similar to when you're having an argument with somebody and they start mentioning money or they start mentioning how many girls they fucked, right? How many chicks you fuck, as fucking Brendan would say. That's when you know you're already lost. When you start mentioning money and women, you've already lost. If you can't just insult the person bar for bar, word for word, then you've already lost when you start aiming for money or when you start talking about their sexuality, especially if it's incorrect. Even if it's even if it's true. Telling somebody that they're gay or calling them a bunch of sticks, how is that an insult if I actually am one? <laughs> you know? Why would I be offended if I am one? You know what I mean? It's such a strange defense, but it definitely shows that you're losing. So why are you trying to shame me with something in a community I don't even belong in? There's no gay people saying I belong over there or been over there. You did but I have no hatred of over there, and how dare you? You did a number on it, though. Hey. You did a number on it. That, no, that's legendary. No, you either believe in karma or you don't. Because I... Yeah, that, I love that line. You either believe in karma or you don't. Personally, I don't. I feel like bad people get away with bad things all the time. I feel like the worst people sometimes sleep the best. They sleep like absolute babies. They have no stresses in the world. They go through life essentially skipping down the street like they're playing fucking hopscotch with not a care or worry in mind at all whatsoever. So the idea of karma, I feel like, is a little bit... Um, it's almost self-serving it's almost like a weird kind of like way that we try to soothe ourselves into believing that there is some sort of like you know um there's some sort of like moral justice system thing that exists out there I and mean, it isn't the only justice system that exists are in the courts there is no other you know everything else is just coincidental i don't think actual karma exists personally for me but again i could be wrong I didn't even know any of the stuff that she had done to my fellow comedians until afterwards. I just know she that it was a setup. Right. And and remember, they they tried to kill me this same weekend, not in jokes, mm. with a real gun in my real face on real camera. Mm. Understand I'm losing my life for participating in something that goes along with my job. Like it's two comedians. What do you mean? And and the world was okay with it because it was me. Had that happened to anyone else, the world went crazy when Will smacked, smacked Chris. This is a person pulling a whole gun on a comedian in the confines of their job. It's, a, it's really a weird situation. So obviously, you most of you guys know. So I'm going to play it anyway because it's one of the most legendary clips anyway um, of fucking Cat Williams destroying Ronda Smith on her fucking radio show. Oh, sorry, Wanda Smith. Most of you have probably seen it. If you haven't already, sit back and enjoy because this is legitimately one of the best takedowns of all time. I swear to God, one of the best takedowns of all time. Listen to Cat Williams destroy this woman. <laughs> That was My hair is 19 inches long and I have no perm. You don't. Oops. Oh. 
But that's not a pearl. No, it is not. Nice lady. That's come, natural. Come run, come run one of your gnarled fingers. Well, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. While you on air. Well, well, come on. So they can hear you laugh. Come on. Come on. Let me come over here. No, no, no. That's not how that works. Oh, okay. Well, then stay over there. Don't worry. Ain't nobody putting their hands through yours. That's right. They don't have to. Uh-huh. I don't want them to. Get on out of here. You okay? <laughs> you okay? Only one of our you hands moving while we talk. Are you okay? Are you okay? Brad Grant, Atlanta Comedy. Tell Wanda to take sure, off the headphones and, and that wig. Sure. Red Fox makes it so worse. Red Fox, a comedian, he makes it so much worse. The way he's laughing, he always, I always remember, he's the one that makes it worse. And that always happens. Whenever someone's getting ripped, it's less about what the person says. It's mostly about the people around you that are laughing. And Red Fox, the comedian, is absolutely making it so much worse the way he's laughing. He is absolutely dying at Cat Williams destroying this woman. And he can't help himself. He makes it so much worse. I swear to God. That wig and that headphones and take come off together. Them old ass clothes you got on. How about that? Yeah, they're old. Versace, yeah. Oh, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's she said, Versace. I want to apologize to the people at Versace Collection. This is your 2019 summer but, line that but, hasn't but, come but out. You, but you had but, to open it up and but, show us it was Versace. It, I want to just No, I didn't have to open it, it up. These though. people are on radio. They can't see anything. Yeah, but you opened it up so we could see it. Yes, ma'am. Well, happy, happy, happy. And happy, happy, happy whatever stories for the Black Lane Bryant. That's right. That's right. Very oh, proud. Okay, let's Very play some proud. music real quick if we can. We going to a break real quick? Very All right, proud. so we go to a break. Shout out to Forever 21. Yeah. This collection. That's right. Shout out. They don't remember me for a while now, right? I'm not the right one to Jones, though. Get this inmate out of here. If you can't get your blood pressure down, you can't call me down. If your cholesterol is 600. Whatever, little mama. I'm little mama's baby daddy. No, you little mama. Yes, ma'am. And what are you, girl? You probably shouldn't talk about sizes. You're big on the radio. That's right. And you're you're big in prison. And you're big in prison. I've never been to prison. Uh, 19 felonies, no convictions. Knock it off. Prison and jail aren't the same. No, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. Only one of us has $12 worth of jewelry on. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, That all is available. If you want to have Wanda's jewelry, please go to Sitgo or Quick Trip at any point. If you buy two packs of Newport. 100 they will give you everything wanda has on right honestly 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 legitimately one of the greatest takedowns of all fucking time legitimately it doesn't stop if you can't take down your cholesterol you can't take me down like are you serious come run your gnarled fingers through my 19 inch hair (laughs) that's all mine like oh my god (laughs) <laughs> thank you to the guys at Versace <laughs> for their you know for their new collection that's not in stores yet you chop at forever 21 <laughs> oh god almighty man absolute Cat Williams what an absolute legend absolutely love that evisceration from Cat Williams big up Cat um, it, uh, moving on from that one we've got this clip as well from Cat Williams talking about how he was this how he was put off from drugs now cat williams maintained throughout this interview that he's never been on hard drugs i guess maybe because of his lifestyle because of his rock star larger than life personality because of some of the videos that people have seen of him out there turning up and stuff people just assumed he was on stuff but i guess he's saying he's never done any hard drugs now you have to be the judge yourself of what you believe or not um personally for me I feel like 
there's no reason to lie right he, he he speaks a lot of shit he talks a lot of shit anyway so i just don't see why he would lie about drugs you know it sounds like a weird thing to sort of suddenly be really coy about so i'm prone to i'm i'm leaning to believe him i think there are some people who just look like they're on drugs but they don't actually do anything and i think unfortunately he just has that desperate you know he has that deposition about him right he kind of carries himself in a certain way and people think he's on drugs but he's never actually on drugs and i think this story about him is um really cool about how he says he got put off from drugs so let's hear him kind of speak about this and then you guys can make up your minds the listeners as to whether or not you believe cat williams that he hasn't done any hard drugs ever in his life because i'm not too sure if i believe it but let's see what you guys think i've heard you t- you were homeless and right. somebody else told the story said they were homeless and you said they they hijacked your story now i don't hey i don't at 13 i shouldn't have to tell you i'm homeless i'm in a i'm, I'm in miami florida i have no family members in florida i couldn't buy a house if i wanted to i couldn't get an apartment if i wanted Correct. to i don't have a credit history like this is not a stretch for me to say that I'm homeless. I'm living in a park in Coconut Grove. The park still exists to this day. Mm-hmm. For eight hours a day, I would get up and go to the library and study for eight hours a day to increase my education. And then I would leave out of there and go to the marina and steal car radios and make $2,000 almost daily. Like I had a routine. This so you really could have played that San old thief in Santa Claus. You could have played it. <laughs> no, the Santa Claus wasn't a thief. The Santa, yeah, he was. the Santa Claus. You can't tell me. I read the script. Ricky Smiley told you he didn't read the script. <laughs> the constant diss is a fucking Ricky Smiley. It's so good. He fucking hates Ricky Smiley. He hates Steve Harvey and Kevin Hart so much. I fucking love it. <laughs> i don't know it's just refreshing to see somebody hate like in uh, out in the open especially somebody successful because people always say the haters are like basement dwellers like myself right people that live in their parents basement covered in cheeto dust you know neck beards virgins incels that's who people think are haters but it's nice when you hear somebody hating who's actually successful because it comes from a real place because you know they've got their own success but you know you're allowed to just hate other peers that you have because it's just pure hate like i just don't like what you do i think you're overrated (laughs) i don't think you're that good it's really kind of (laughs) cool the the santa claus was a crackhead he just had that outfit on that's what i couldn't have played okay like i couldn't have played a black guy that got raped in the bathroom right so at any point in time you're like man i made a mistake man i should have stayed my butt in ohio man because this is man this ain't what i signed up for i didn't experience anything once i left home that i hadn't signed up for Mm. if anything it saved my life me being homeless for that small period of time allowed me to see all of the people that were in that situation and to see that these were lawyers and doctors and and and, and teachers and that these people were white and black and asian and indian and the only thing that all of these homeless people had in 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 common was um they made a bad decision and aligned themselves with drugs and that's the truth that's the real truth i remember when i went to work at a soup kitchen when i was like i don't know what was i i must have been like 17 or something and that was another big wake-up call because i guess when i lived in the hood 
like for some reason i guess we just had maybe just the area that i live in there was predominantly black obviously with some white people but you didn't really get to see the scope of poverty you just saw it just through one lens and you just saw it through the people that you're around and most likely when i was that age all you saw was your experience all you knew was how bad you were suffering how bad you were struggling you didn't have the cool trainers you couldn't afford this you had to eat the free school meals all this sort of shit right and you couldn't see past your own struggle the moment I worked in that soup kitchen for that one summer and you see the amount of people that come to soup kitchens, which is a really scary situation about it because you think to yourself immediately when I was working in a soup kitchen, I was like, wow, if this place wasn't here, what would happen then? If this soup kitchen didn't exist, where would these people go to, to have a hot meal? Where would they go to have some food? Where would they actually go? That was a real wake up call that I had. And I remember also seeing, like Cat Williams said, all types of people coming into a soup kitchen not just people that were homeless not just people that were down bad not just people that were poor not just people that were ever that all types of people people that legitimately look like they came from work people that came from work legitimately people that literally came from work were actually there it's absolutely crazy to see it that people that were struggling look like everybody that you see regular walking on the street that just needed a hot meal and it kind of really did humble me and allowed me to see past my own struggle and to see that you know even though I was going through a bad situation or my family weren't in the best shape that there were people out there actually suffering way worse and just getting on with it they weren't feeling bad about themselves they weren't kicking themselves you know what I mean they weren't doing what was mean things they weren't crying and complaining they were just trying to make the most of it and that was really cool to see I'm not gonna lie it was really eye-opening and refreshing to see and it really does make you um once even it humbles you it just kind of makes you realize just how big of a scope um just you know just how different things are outside of your own purview and it's not just all about you and again when you're that age and you're 17 18 and stuff you kind of all you're a bit self-absorbed and warped in your own thing anyway and I interviewed them all. What drug? What? And guess what, Shannon? What? Nobody had a great story. Nobody had a great story of what meth had done for them, what mm. crack had done for them, what cocaine had done for them, what heroin had done for them, what speed had done for them. Nobody had mm. them stories. Mm. Everybody's story was I had my life together. And then I decided to do this dumb thing. And I lost my wife, I lost my house, I lost my cars, I lost my reputation, and now I'm now out here sucking penis in the woods. <laughs> I like how you ended that sincere moment with that fucking endo. <laughs> now I'm out here sucking penis in the woods. Bloody hell, man. Honestly, he's really... And you know what's really funny about that? It's like, as, as, as Uche says it actually it be like that sometimes that's really the harsh reality of it it's funny because it's actually true that's how it is you end up getting yourself in a spiral where you're addicted to drugs where you're fucking you know in a self-destructive path and it ends up being a situation where you go from having a couple of bumps having a couple of tabs a couple of pills and then suddenly you're on all fours in some you know derelict housing project somewhere you know screaming somebody's name <laughs> that's how dark it can get very very quickly so big up cat williams for sharing that what talk about scared straight you ain't got to worry about me <laughs> if it ain't weed or nicotine you won't see me touching it i don't want no parts i didn't see what these things can do to people anything that take over your free will is the devil it's
and he's right about that he's fucking right about that he really is um big up everyone in the stream chat appreciate you for tuning in as well thank you for being here make sure you like the stream if you're enjoying what you see and you're hearing uh big up who i'm seeing here big up half moon bardo big up big up you from the gym uh big up also justin holtman big up you um helps me realize stuff can get worse exactly and big up everybody else i'm seeing here in the, in the chat thank you so much for hanging um it really is true about what he's saying about drugs but i really do wish this is maybe my um you know my fucking naive wanting of a utopia type of thing but I wish we could live in a society where a lot of people could have a handle on their drugs and their booze. I wish we had a more grown-up approach to drugs and alcohol in general. I wish grown-ups sorry, could realize when it's not suiting them and just stop. Obviously, addiction exists. We all know this. But I wish there was an ability for people to be comfortable enough and okay enough to just stop and not continue if it didn't serve them to maybe have one drink and decide, you know what, I've had enough, I'm going home to maybe have a couple of drugs and then decide, you know what, I'm done. But for some reason, I feel like we have systems in place. We have societal pressures that make that almost impossible. I think of the UK as a good example. When I was before the pandemic, you know, before the world went to shit and before we turned into mostly a working from home you know world that's what mostly i do i used to always go to the office and i used to go to an office that i would work in every day monday to friday and the work culture in my office and the work culture around the offices i worked in because i used to work for a startup i used to work for a few other companies too but mostly i'd work in areas that were kind of like the london version of silicon valley so there'd be different companies and different you know working places all around there there'd be places to go and eat places to go and drink and whatever it may be so there was a real collective sort of like work life culture around there where most of the time throughout the week especially from wednesday most people already be in a pub in the bars after work as soon as you finish work whether it's at five half five six or seven the first thing people did from wednesday was go straight to flipping the pubs and the bars that's the first thing they would do especially if it was a tough week especially if you had a couple of meetings at work especially if maybe you had a bad you know fucking review or something the first thing people would do to comfort themselves was go to the fucking pub if you went to catch up with a friend that worked in another workplace you'd meet them at a pub or a bar or restaurant so you would start to booze from wednesday onwards and then and then to make matters worse on the weekend especially towards the fucking payday usually was the time where people will start picking up drugs and start to turn the after work drinks into an occasion to get a bit loosey-goosey because most of the time if you were older and you had a family by this time saturday comes around you're hanging out with your family so the only time you really have to be free to do all your adult activities and hang out with people like-minded and similar age was during the week so you would spend the entire week from Wednesday to Friday getting boozed up, drinking a bunch and maybe doing a lot of drugs. So you ended up doing way more and drinking way more than you would do if you weren't working in an office with that sort of toxic culture. So even though I wish we had a bit more of a grown up handle on drugs and alcohol and we could be a little bit more um, responsible with it, because I feel like there should be more encouragement of people and that it should be more encouraged for people to handle their vices that should be encouraged more instead of just abstinence there should be more encouragement of like hey handle your vices don't let them take don't let them handle don't let them take over you don't let them destroy you you always be in control that should be a thing people should strive for like being able to be a good drunk being able to be a good you know drug person whatever it may be that should actually exist but it doesn't people always you know there's always just on or off 
it's always like sobriety or fucking boozing it up there is no middle ground unfortunately and i feel like sometimes life gets the better of you situations get the better of you and then you end up going down this bad path that's the really sad thing about these situations that lead people into these destructive paths really and i wish we just had a bit more of a especially in the uk wish we had just a bit more of a grown-up conversation around it and people took more responsibility but you know it just doesn't exist you know people just are just too loose they're too crazy and things just go all over the place you know that's the only really um wild thing that i fucking hate about it but you know i don't know there is no way to fix it unfortunately like i said i think i've met many people in my work life career who become addicts just because of work really not because of any you know thing that they've done themselves but mostly because of just the pressure of work you have a stressful week the first thing you do is grab a drink and all of a sudden you start becoming the person that can't wake up without a drink that can't function with one that can't be in such situations without one and all of a sudden you're dependent you know it starts off very slow then it just builds up very quickly so it's really unfortunate that, that happens and that life basically pushes people in certain directions again kind of like rambo right rambo first blood you get provoked you get pushed you get backed into a corner and you feel like the only thing you need to do to get out of that corner is to fight back but sometimes fighting back might lead you into more trouble and might make the problem far worse than what it was in the beginning you know so it's sad but then you also don't want to surrender because surrender you might die ah <sighs> man 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 but big up cat williams absolutely impressive smart clocked on guy i fucking love it let's play a couple more cat williams clips here um yeah we got this clip here <laughs> let's play this let's play this clip we have to play this clip cat williams legit wants to fight cedric the entertainer let's play this one this is a really funny one as well oh i fucking love cat williams big up cat williams what a fucking legend so let's play this as well let's get the sound up bear with me a second as i get it up on here curry had already helped me work on this joke because i thought it was good because i was getting a standing ovation on it he had me go back in the lab to help me craft it to be an even more powerful joke so this is not just a random joke this is my very best joke mm -hmm. and it's my last joke and it's my closing joke okay 1998 I'm doing this joke. It's on Comic View. Cedric comes to the comedy store. He watches me in the audience. He comes backstage. He tells me what a great job I did and how much he loves the joke. Two years later, he's doing that as his last joke on the Kings of Comedy. And he's doing it verbatim. He's just changed my car into a spaceship. Jesus Christ. Him and Steve had already apologized for me, so I gave him a pass for a decade. Why would you sit here and be like, I talked to, I saw Cat 30 times, <laughs> and Cat didn't do, as I stand before you, Shannon. <laughs> I would have bust Cedric's stomach. <laughs> There was nothing that would have kept me from one of these in, in that patch right there. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I love it. I would have busted him in the stomach. But I love how honest he is about it, man. I love the fact that he still gets under, under his fucking skin that Cedric stole his joke from all those years ago. Again, proof that he's a fucking true comedian at heart. So let's see. Let's see if we think... Cedric the Entertainer stole Cat Williams' joke. First, we've got Cat Williams' joke, right? Let's hear the, the similarities. This is Cat Williams' joke that Cedric Entertainer stole. Let's hear Cat Williams' version of it first, and then we're going to play Cedric's version of it as well. Now, 
perfectly cut off. It looked like this. You flossing in a six gen convertible. <laughs> so that's Cat Williams' version of the joke, right? Let's see Cedric Entertainer version of the joke. And again, that's what physical comedy looks like. Unlike fucking Brian Callen, who just stands there with his legs wide. That's what actual physical comedy looks like. He's making the whole entire audience die with laughing by just mimicking himself, trying to start up his car and pushing it down the fucking street. That's actual real physical comedy. None that Brian Callen shit. Let's play Cedric Entertainer's version of it. Let's play Cedric Entertainer's version of the joke, the one that Cat Williams says he stole from him. 72 deuce and a quarter. Nigga, we, we, we get us a cigarette. Nigga, we get us, we be in a space shuttle, nigga, like this a 72 deuce. Nigga, we get us <laughs> Oh my God. It's so fucking blatant. You know what makes it worse? If you're not watching this and you're listening via the audio version of the podcast, please make sure that you watch the video version of this because you won't see it. But if you listen to this via the audio version, one of the most telling parts about why this is clearly a, a theft is that the footage of Cat Williams performing the joke, even though it's filmed on a janky camera at a TV, it's clear that it was filmed in different years. You can tell by the fashion. You can tell that Cat Williams' joke was filmed before Cedric the Entertainer did it. That's the clear and obvious version of how it's fucking been jacked. The quality of the camera, the outfits they're wearing, the colours and shit. You can definitely tell that Cat Williams did that joke first. It's fucking crazy. And the funny thing about it also is this. I've always said, I find joke thieves to be dumb, especially when the joke isn't that complex. Like, this is a... Don't get me wrong, it's a good joke, it's a good bit, right, about how it is, you know, when you're driving a car and you're feeling good about yourself and you jump in the car, you turn on the fucking music, people are watching you and then the car doesn't start, but it's pretty basic still. If you need to if you need to steal this joke, that shows, that probably says more about you than the comedian that made the joke, because it shows that you have no ability to make anything funny, because you have to steal such an easy, almost like you know um easy to grasp joke that most people should be able to think of themselves and the fact that you couldn't think of it is proof that you're probably not a real comedian
Oh, parallel thinking, parallel thinking, parallel thinking B. So clearly, clearly Cedric Entertainer stole that joke. And I love that Cat Williams has never forgave him for it, has never forgot. Always is smoke with him and Cedric. And he's always going to keep his fucking foot on his proverbial neck. And I fucking love it, right? I fucking love it. I really, really do. And let's play one more of him ripping into fucking Cedric Entertainer. One more. One more Cat Williams ripping into him. I fucking love when he rips into him. It's fucking brilliant. When you asked him, did you steal Cat Williams' joke? Yeah. He said, it don't line up. How it don't line up? He thought that I was just a no-name comedian and that he could take this joke and nobody would know. Right. The issue was that I had already done this particular joke. <laughs> They're calling him Cedric. Big up Gabriel. Cedric Shaw. <laughs> That's brilliant. Big up Gabriel J with the fucking comment of the night. Big up Gabriel J. Cedric Shebrick. Cedric Shaw. <laughs> That's fucking brilliant. Oak on BET's Comic View twice. Right. It had done so well on BET's Comic View that they had made it part of the commercial. So part of the commercial of make sure you tune in to BET was you seeing me doing this joke. So this is not just a random joke. This is my very best joke mm -hmm. and it's my last joke and it's my closing joke. Okay. Mm. 1998, I'm doing this joke. It's on Comic View. Cedric comes to the comedy store. He watches me in the audience. He comes backstage. He tells me what a great job I did and how much he loves the joke. That's got to hurt the most, isn't it? That probably hurts the most. That probably hurts the most. Not that he stole the joke. It's the pure brazenness of it. It kind of reminds me of, um, what's his face? The guy with Joe Rogan, um, Carlos Mencia. Everyone said the same thing about him. It wasn't the fact that he stole it. It was the way that he stole the jokes, right? He would watch you perform your set and then he'd perform after you because he's obviously the main headline comedian and then he'd steal your joke. When obviously, because you're performing, if you're if you're up and coming, you're performing when no one's there. Then he performs after you, but he steals your joke and absolutely destroys. And now everybody thinks that joke that he stole from you is actually his. So now you can't do the joke anymore, you know. And it's the brazen nature of it, the lack of regard, the lack of respect that's really kind of cuts you. It's like what the fuck you don't you don't think you don't really even care. You know what I mean? That's the thing that really hurts the most. Two years later, he's doing that as his last joke on the Kings of Comedy. And he's doing it verbatim. He's just changed my car into a spaceship. <laughs> him and Steve had already apologized for me, so I gave him a pass for a decade. Why would you sit here and be like, I talked to, I saw Cat 30 times <laughs> and Cat didn't do, as I stand before you. Shannon, I would have bust Cedric's stomach. <laughs> there was nothing that would have kept me from one of these in, in that patch right there. Like, are you kidding me? Why would you downplay me like that? Why did I give you a pass if you were just going to lie? Cedric sitting here telling you why he ain't a movie star. He over here look like a walrus. You didn't say nothing. He can't even get his arms off his stomach sitting over here. Why I'm not a movie star. What? He's saying he looks 
Michael Morris. Honestly, he's too much, man. He's too much. And you know what's funny? Shannon Sharp said after the fact that it was such an awkward position to be in because he knows everybody. So as Shannon Sharp said afterwards, everybody that Cat Williams was destroying, he knows them on a personal level. Like they, you know, they have each other's phone numbers and stuff. They maybe hang out, but they're cordial. Like, you know, they're kind of, they're cool. So he was in a weird position because this guy's just ripping into all his quote-unquote friends and there's nothing he can do. He just has to, you know, stay neutral and let him say his piece. But <laughs> I love I love him so much. It's a situation. We never wrote anything. Remember, when Cedric the Entertainer starts, he's supposed to... Yeah, I love... Koyla, you hate, you hate Shannon Sharp, innit? Koyla hates Shannon Sharp. He's a bootlicker. You hate him so much. I don't mind him. I don't mind him. Um, he's kind of like I love the I love the description of him online. A lot of people say like he he doesn't like women, but not like not like he's gay, but like he just doesn't like women. Like some of these opinions he has, being a fifty five year old, nearly sixty year old man, is so bizarre. He has such a weird disdain for the opposite sex. Like he hates like them having an opinion. He hates them having views or wanting his time. I don't know. He's such a bizarre guy, but I love that someone said online that Shannon Sharp doesn't like women. Not that he's gay, but that he just doesn't like women. You know, he, he enjoys their company, maybe in a sexual way, but he just doesn't like women as people. <laughs> it's so funny. Supposed to be singing, dancing and telling jokes. That's why he's called the entertainer. Right. We found out he can't sing, can't dance and doesn't write jokes. He did four comedy specials. They're so bad, Shannon. They're not available on Netflix or Tubi. Can I say that again for the audience? They're so bad that they're not available on Netflix or Tubi. <laughs> Tubi catching strays. Tubi catching strays for no reason. <laughs> um cedric entertainer betting himself like brendan and it didn't work he bet on himself and it didn't work you don't think Seth's a good a good comedian the world doesn't think that sir i have 12 comedies <laughs> the world doesn't think that specials he has four specials that are not available on netflix or tubi and this is the age of truth. And, and, and the truth doesn't need to be scared of the fact that people tell lies. Uh, cats on drugs. Where are the stories? Why is there no story of anybody who ever sold a drug to me, did a drug with me, was around me when I was inebriated? I got five daughters. I got five sons. Why would we tell these ridiculous stories? Because it's com competition. Now, I'm reading... Cat Williams won Cedric the Entertainer's Anheuser Busch Best L L Best Los Angeles Comic Award. Did you win that award? Won Cat Williams? It's a simple yes or no. It's not a rhetorical question. It's a question that probably should have been asked to Cedric the Entertainer. I'm asking you. I got you here though. I know. I couldn't <laughs> believe Cedric didn't get asked that question. <laughs> He's such a cunt. He's such a cunt. You still a dude's joking and giving an award and then 10 years later you don't know nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but I but I promise you this. What? If he sees me again before he sees you, he'll be talking different when you see him. Mm. That's for certain.
That's the difference. That's what these comics understand, is that I'm not doing nothing for clout. I don't even recognize clout. But eventually, the Lord is going to let me and you be in one hallway. Mm. A lot of these dudes go... But you did win the award. How did the award <laughs> help your career? It had to help some, cat. Nope. No. Nope. Come on, cat. I didn't remember it. It happened to you. Just said it. Set. How can Cedric give you an award that was worth something? <laughs> Everything Cedric and Ricky Smiley ever been in got canceled for not being funny. <laughs> Honestly, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I swear to God, he's went just absolutely crazy flamethrower man it's just absolutely brutal oh my god bro oh my god absolute savage absolute flipping savage you gotta love cat williams you really have to love everything about cat williams and to make him even better right talking about cat williams not recognizing clout Where's this flipping tweet? I've got somewhere. Bear with me a second here. Look at look at this. Look at these stories. Look at these stories about Cat Williams not recognizing clout. I believe him. I believe all these stories. Look at this story. Look at this flipping story. I believe everything about Cat Williams. He is exactly who he says he is, right? Look at this random account somebody posted on Facebook of all places. When people are posting these comments on Facebook, you know them to be true because there's a whole different demographic that exists on Facebook, mostly like older folks, right? So this whole conversation around Cat Williams talking about how he gives back and stuff and how he doesn't like to talk about it and he's always trying to help out comedians. I think there's a particular clip where he just talks about you know how he goes out of his way to put money in comedians pockets because he knows how hard it is to be hurting and not have somebody look out for you look at all these people leaving testimonials about meeting actual cat williams in real life and what he did for them look at this this person called two two ray gordon right on facebook posted this a few years ago i opened up for cat williams at the leah cross opening spot I'm, I'm, I'm to be paid $700. I go through, I do my time, I rock out, I think. After my performance, they come to me and they say, Cat Williams wants to speak to you. I go to his green room and he gives me a pound with the money in my hand. We hug, exchange pleasantries. He says, I see you still killing it. I say thank you and I thank you for the opportunity. I bounce. Watch the rest of the show. I never counted the money because one, I thought that it would be rude to do it in Cat's face. And two, I figured it was $700. He's good for it. So me and Cupcake, I guess that's his girlfriend or somebody else called Cupcake, slide to David's in Chinatown for some salt and pepper shrimp. I go to pay, reach in my pocket, pull out the pay from the handshake from Cat. It's $2,500. This is a true story. So this is what he's doing without preaching about it or without talking about it in public. He's going out of his way to basically double, triple the pay of some fucking performers and comedians that are playing before him. So he's doing a show. They've got an opening act there. He knows what it is to struggle, right? He knows what it is to flip and be an opening act. Because I've heard people say it before in terms of stand-up comedy. I'm sure Robert Henry Poet can say the same thing um, about how hard it is to go from being an open micer to actually getting some gigs in comedy clubs. And then to actually go to a position where it's actually paying well. Where it's actually maybe able to afford your rent or whatever it may be. It can be really difficult. Sometimes you're rich, 
literally, you know, rubbing pennies together. So to be performing for somebody like a Cat Williams and get paid what you're meant to get paid, but then f open your fucking wallet and open the fucking wad of cash that you got and count it and realize he actually paid, overpaid you three times of what you actually were meant to get. And you know what that does? That usually, for most decent people, will make you want to pay that back that's what happens that's what happened to me if somebody if i did something for somebody or if i did a job and somebody went out of their way to overpay me most likely when i get in a position where i'm earning some money i'm gonna make sure that i pay them back and i feel like that's a great way to if anything really change the culture around the thing that you do especially most likely i'd imagine in this situation cat williams was probably you know i'd imagine he's probably like this because the situation that he was in when he was coming up in comedy where he was struggling where maybe you're performing on a show and you know um the comedian before you gets paid a lot you don't get paid a lot and then you have to maybe go back home you know on the fucking bus or you have to sleep on a fucking bench and shit and then what you do is that you make sure that you kind of correct course when you get in position so that is what it does so that's a really cool and inspiring story but then there's another account here of how amazing cat williams is from this other person Look at this other guy, right? This, this white dude here. He says the following on his page. This guy called Richie Redding. Richie Redding says, Years ago, I got a last minute call to open up for Cat Williams in Philly. He wasn't there yet when I got on. It was one of the best sets of my life. And at the point, but I was bummed because he wasn't there to see it. On my way to the dressing room, a dude in a fur coat stepped out of the shadows and said, Young man, that was absolutely stupendous. And he shook my hand and with a wad of cash, which felt like way more than the show was paying for me. I told it, I played it cool, thanked him, but I really needed some money at the point. Um, turned out it was five times more, five times more. As he walked away, he said, I'll have you on the road. And that's my word. I got a call the next month. And I did 116 shows with him over the next three years. And it was all love. So what I'm saying is talk that shit cat. So this guy randomly did an opening set for fucking Cat Williams. Opening set randomly. Opening set randomly, right? And Cat Williams ends up paying him five times more than what he was meant to get paid. And then he put more money in his pocket by taking him on the road to do 160 shows. That's when you know somebody's a good dude. Yeah, he talks all his shit. Yeah, he might be a bit of a hater was to some other comedians, but this is what he does when people are not watching. And this, I think, is a marker of an actual decent person. What are you doing to people? What are you doing for people? How are you giving back when no one's watching, right? You're in some, some like, you know, minor town or some not so popular town in philly some show that not many people care about unless they're there with comedian that's not really that well known but what are you doing for them outside of that and that's obviously the type um of thing that you like to see from people and i fucking love it i really fucking love it honestly really do great to see big up cat williams for being an absolute legend and always always giving back to people you love to fucking see it you love to bloody see it okay that's what you love to do you love to see it okay moving on from that one um because i have to now bounce i think right yeah i really do have to bounce because the time is now flipping skipping by me um i think i'm gonna do one more topic here and then i'm gonna roll um let's talk a little bit slyly about um these shoes so the travis scott nike sharkando they think they're called now right um I'm not too sure I like him now. Again, not too sure I like them now. I'm not too sure I like him now. 
I'm not too sure I like them now. I'm not going to lie. They look a bit weird because Travis allegedly gave this pair of shoes to a fan and they look a bit strange, the shape. I kind of went to wear them in the gym, but they look a little bit odd. There's something strange about them. Maybe it's a strap. Maybe it's the upper. I'm not really too sure, but there's something very odd about how they look. But I did like this early picture. This picture of the white pair when they first leaked. These look quite cool. But this updated colorway and this brown, they look kind of shit, innit? They look kind of shit. These might be the first Travis Scott Nike collaborations that might sit on the shelves. These might end up being a dud. I don't think people are going to like these, you know? They look kind of odd. Maybe I'm in the wrong here, but they look really strange. There's something really odd. Maybe they're a bit too bottom heavy. Um, there's too much going on with the sole and the strap and the different materials, but they look a bit strange, isn't it? And again, maybe I'm thinking too much into it, but they just look a little bit odd. I'm not really not sure what I, what I don't like about them, but they don't look very really strange. But yeah, that's my final thought on them. I saw them today and I just, you know, I don't think I like them anymore now. Unfortunately, I don't think I like them anymore. But anyway, um, that is me now. I'm finished. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Agassino Zynga Show, episode number, I think it's 735. It's been a pleasure to have your company as per usual. I'm going off to the flipping gym now to get my little pump on and listen to some music and, you know, make some grunting noises into the mirror and stuff. I love a good when I'm doing a good gym workout. So I'm looking forward to that. So I'll be pumping some weights while you guys are doing what you're doing. If you've enjoyed the show and you've enjoyed what you've seen, please make sure you like the stream down below. That'd be greatly appreciated. Like the stream down below. Thank you so much. That's all you have to do. If you listen to this via the podcast app and you're enjoying what you listen to also please leave me also if you can on the podcast app a five-star review you can leave me a five-star review on apple Podcasts. you can do it on spotify and whatever app that you use to listen to podcasts please leave me a five-star review five stars only if it's four stars i don't want to know it give me five stars only give me five give me five give me five and then i'll be very happy but until then, my friends, if you listen to the audio podcast, you'll be hearing my tune of the day playing underneath my voice. If you're watching this via the video side of things, it's going to fade to black. And I'll see you guys again on the other side. For now, take care, my friends. Peace out. Thank you for joining me. And I'll see you all again very, very soon. 